This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Adam Arishon wrote the chapter in Tehillah, Mizmar Shir Liyom HaShabbos, right? He wrote this Shabbos morning. Why did he write the, that Tehillim Shabbos morning? So look, let's look at Adam's life. He gets created, right? He's in, everything's great. He... It's, it's, he was created like almost Shabbos time, right? He eats from the tree. He knows now that he did a very big Avera. Hashem said, yeah, he did a very big Avera. And then it starts to get dark. And all of a sudden, I remember, Adam never saw dark. He was created in the day. So he never saw the world in darkness. And now all of a sudden, the world starts to get darker and darker. And he's like, oh my goodness, I destroyed the world. It's disappearing. And Friday night, the first Friday night, he lived in darkness and he sat and he cried that he didn't know it's going to get light again, that he was, he was created this gorgeous world and now it's in darkness and he did it. It's his fault. He did it. He destroyed the world. Shabbos morning starts to get light. So the first sunrise that a human being ever saw, he realized I didn't destroy the world. The sun goes up, the sun goes out, whatever it is. And he said, oh my gosh, I didn't destroy the world. I didn't destroy the world. I have to, I have to write something. I have to write it. And he wrote, Ms. Mishaliyam HaShavos. So sunrise has it in it. And I tell girls all the time that are depressed that you should go down to Coney Island. I mean, it has to be safe with a friend or two or whatever. And go down at, like half an hour before sunrise or 40 minutes before sunrise and watch the world come from darkness every single day. doesn't miss. The moment that's supposed to happen, watch the world come from darkness into light and take that into your eyes and your soul and meditate a little bit at sunrise. The Chinese do that a lot. They do their chi at sunrise. Um, and it'll give your, your heart and soul that you, you'll see that sometimes it's very dark, but in the end of the day, there's always a sunrise. So in sunrise is hope. In sunrise is it's not always dark. Sunrise has a, has a very internal kayak because the first time it was seen by a human being, it gave him hope. He thought he destroyed the world. It's a big thing. Now, sunset, right? What's the beauty of sunset? You watch the world go into darkness. Anyone here know why is sunset so, so tranquil? You should give the share tonight. Because <laughs> really, God could have made it that it goes from light to darkness. We would not be able to handle that. First of all, you'd fall into a hole, you're walking, boom, it gets dark. But even in, in trauma, even in, even in things that you go through in life that are hard, right? If it goes slowly, if it happens slowly, you can handle it much better than if it just if it happens sudden. So yes, he does it with beautiful color, and God does everything with beautiful color. Sunrise is beautiful, sunset is beautiful. It sound like the fiddler on the roof, and 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 the leaves when they die, right? People don't think about this. You know, I always think about these things. In the spring, it's gorgeous because everything is blossoming, so everything's flowering, right? But the winter, the, the, the order, the fall in the winter, everything's dying. Shem says, no. Just like in the spring, everything is beautiful. In the winter, I'm also going to make everything beautiful. And the, all the trees turn color. Why don't the leaves just fall off? They turn orange and red and yellow. I was up in the mountains for circus. There, was a, there were trees that were so red, that normally green, and it was so red. The Kush Baruch Hu says, whether it's blossoming or whether it's dying, I'm going to make it as beautiful as I can. And people, people just don't, they don't appreciate these things. We just don't appreciate things. We don't even realize. You know, there are a lot of people who go up to the Bear Mountains mm-hmm. and, and, they, and they travel up there to take pictures of the autumn, you know, what's going on in the leaves and stuff like that. Krishna Baruch is so sensitive to everything that we need. So there's a sunrise and there's a sunset and there's a spring and there's a fall. And you know what? Even in the winter where it's bitter cold, Hashem made snow. I had a long talk with my grandson about this. 
Hashem made snow beautiful. Snow could be black. Okay, in New York it's black in one day. But, but snow, Hashem made white. Ice is not white. Ice is clear. Ice is clear. Snow is white. And it's used in Tehillim. It, it, it's supposed to remind a person of, of clearing away his sins. Snow is beautiful. It's beautiful. The morning that New York City is under a snowstorm, the morning before anyone starts to drop salt, it's like all the filth of the city is covered. Seriously. Until five minutes later when the trucks come by and all the garbage. But, no, but seriously, I lived in Muncie. When it was snowing or the morning after it was snowing and the sun's on the snow, it's the most magnificent. So even the cold, freezing, wet snow, Kush made beautiful. Everything he makes is beautiful. Summer fruits, winter fruits, there are fruits that are in the fall, there are apples coming in. No one, no one understands, no one appreciates the beauty of everything that he does. But that has nothing to do with this week's Pasha. Just, I went off subject a little bit. But it has to do with life. It has to do with life. Anyway, Shabbaton, and Baruch Hashem, we put up 62 mezuzahs, and whoever's interested in coming to Shabbaton, there is only a certain amount of room in this hotel. Um, you gotta call Ornava. And let them know that you're interested in coming. Outside of that, I'm working on a big project. I don't know if it's going to happen. It's not going to happen, but there's some girls in this room that really would be happy if I pull it off. So, I spoke in the last couple of weeks to a group of 75 girls who are a little bit older, who are not married. And a couple of them said, you met me last year and told me that by Pesach I would have my chasen at the table. Rabbi Wallace, you're like, oh, I said, I'm not God, I could, I could dive in and I could say, and then God could say, who are you to say anything, right? I don't know. But you gotta try, you give brothers. Anyway, so, I walked away from that, I felt very bad that the one thing I'm not that involved in is Shiduchim. I know, and you know, I don't read Shiduchim, really everyone comes out with me, it's like, Rabbi Wallace, you got all these girls, like, I got all these girls, like, you got all these girls, like, you can't find me a Shiduch? I'm like, we have a Shadchan, right? Chaim Tuvia Hansen. I don't know girls that way. I don't really sit and talk to them and get a resume from them. So, and on top of that, I'm very hard on, bo- I'm the one guy, because I'm very hard on boys. I, like, like, it's very hard for me to make a show. Like, I rip these guys apart. So, so I'm, I'm very hard on boys. I'm not, it's not my thing, but after speaking to all these girls, and like, I just felt very bad. And there was an idea that I wanted to do a couple of years ago. I didn't have the manpower. And I went to have W. Cohen about this. So, there are two hotels in New Jersey that are right across the street from each other. Very big hotels. I would never, it's my thing, I know that organizations do it and I'm not judging them and I'm not criticizing them and I know they have halachic permission to do it so I just, I just for some reason I'm not comfortable having a single Shabbaton where boys and girls are in one hotel. Even if two of them are two, two floors on the eighth floor and the other two on the second floor, just not comfortable with guys and girls sleeping in the same hotel, and I know that many organizations don't have a problem with it, and there are a bunch of that paskin. It's not a halakhic thing, it's a Wallachian thing. It's just, I don't know. But these two hotels are separate. So we could put all the boys in one hotel for sleeping, and we could put all the girls in the other hotel for sleeping, right? And then a whole Shabbos, they can eat together in one hotel, and we can bring in speakers, right? And we can bring in families that they're able to sit at the same table, and we can bring in 10 Shachanim, and they'll pull anything that happens from any of the Shidduchim. So they're not interested in this girl because she's rich or that girl because that doesn't make a difference. Any Shidduchim that come out of it. 500 guys, 500 girls, different, okay. modern, less modern, set, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's crazy work, it's crazy work. I went to ask her David Cohen, is there a problem them eating together? She said, for sure, that would be the biggest mitzvah in the world. And, and it would be amazing. And, and like much as I would do it during Sphira. If we don't need, we don't need music. There's no reason to have music. We have to have music. We'll have speed dating, right? Meet five, five minutes, five minutes, different type. You, you'll fill out, again, Lisa Elephant was the Shachan who, Arnava would try to figure out how to do it that, that, you know, it makes sense. And I very, very much want to do this. I spent that time with those girls and I felt, felt a little bit their sensitivities. I'm not a girl and I'm not dating, so I, you know, but I felt their sensitivities, and I feel that we have to do something. So Arnava is going to try, Mitzvah Hashem, it's my plan, and we're going to try during Sphira to do this in a very from, this is not a modern type of thing, it's a very from, with Rabbanim, with the right people at the, at the, at the Shabbos, 
you know, the, the, the interesting speakers and people who talk about relationships and Rabbanim, I'm going to ask Yudalim to be there. Um, you know, it's a crisis and we want to, you know, try to break the crisis. So Ornava is going to try. We're going to try to do this. It's very expensive and it's a lot of work and extensive work. I'm hoping there are people in Kleisrol that will help me financially and, and help me get this done. And maybe we'll, um, 500 girls, 500 good boys, it's a thousand. Maybe we'll make like 400 shidduchim. <laughs> Don't laugh. You never know. You never know. You never know. What? It's a very big mitzvah. So you're going to come for Shabbos, and you're going to have some girls and guys at your table. And you're going to introduce them to each other. Okay? okay. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll send you the kids that you're comfortable with, who are comfortable with you. And you're going to be there also, Malka. No, 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 no. Shabbat on February or not Shabbat on. No guys. No guys. Not only no guys across the street, no guys in the state of New Jersey. No guys. This is a separate, totally separate thing. No, the Ornava Shabbat on February. The Ornava Shabbat on for girls and families. But we don't, we don't let on our Shabbat on. If you know that, we, when, sometimes families don't come. We don't let any boy above 13 to be on, on Ornava Shabbat on. So if a family has a 16, 17 year old son, it's no. I got girls running all over the place. So that's our rule. Our rule is you have thir- up to Bar Mitzvah, after Bar Mitzvah, no. Okay, we're very excited. We got stuff. It, it, got, it got too boring. Like, you guys don't, we haven't done anything lately. So we got to have a Shabbaton and then a singles weekend. I don't, I don't call it a singles weekend. We'll call it a Shidduch weekend. Right? And a Mitzvah Hashem. And, and the ages are not going to be 19, 20, 21, 22. No. Those girls, I mean, they, they, they need us, but not right now. It's going to be for a little bit older than that. Exactly the age I'm thinking, I'm thinking 25 to 40, something like that. I'm not sure. We'll see. We have to, I have to sit with the Shachanim, but I think very much that um, it's something that we really need to do more because no matter how many shiur my Rothstein gives and no matter how from you are and stuff like that, going home and being alone every night, it just, it just wears down your Muna and it wears down yourself and it just wears you down. So we're going to try to, it's my first foray into this, and we're going to try to make a lot of shidduchim, it's Hashem. You have to understand also, when people meet people, so even if the boy is not for the girl, but he has a, he has a friend, that might be for that girl. And she might have a friend like saying, this guy's not for me, but you know my best friend Chai is for you. It, it, it just, it's just something that has to be done, it's not being done. And I want to do it in a very firm way. In a Yiddish from you see out the Shmai, you know, that something that a Kodesh Baruch wants, listen, the Gemara says that, that, that the girls used to come out on Yom Kippur and they came out, you know, on Tuba Av and they made Shidduchim. So in the times of the base of English, they had to make Shidduchim that way also. It said they weren't worried because in Yom Kippur everyone's such a holy place. They would never look at a girl that way or look at a boy that way, whatever it was, a holy place. So we're trying to do it. I can't do it in one hotel. I just, just not me. Uh, I, 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 know, I don't, I'm not judging anyone else that does. And there's halakhically you could do it. What's, it's not Yichud. Right, I'm just, just not comfortable. Okay, now we can get to um, to learn a little bit. So, whoever's watching, if you're interested in helping with the mezuzahs, if you, help, if you want to help with the February, if you want to help with the Shidduchim, that's a very big thing. Let me know. All right. Um, just go to ornava, O-H-R-N-A-A-V-A dot com. And if you don't have a computer like me, or a smartphone like me, um, you can call Ornava at 718-O-H-R- N A A V. Well, you don't need the A. You don't need the A. That's it. You're out of you're out of numbers. O H R three N A A V, right? And just let her know if you want to help us because tonight we're talking about Chesed, and this is all Chesed. The ranch is Chesed, Shabbaton is Chesed, and definitely the singles weekend is definitely going to be. And it's going to be catered, and it's going to be on an Ornava level. It's going to be ganz fine. Okay. So, if you want to understand how to do chesed, if you want to understand what it means to be really a bal chesed, you need to dissect this week's parsha and learn from Abraham Avinu what it means to be a bal chesed. What's the difference? If you if you go to the Bowery and you come to the 
light and it's red and you have that squeegee, you know, guy with his cup. Goyim give them money. Not only Jews give them money. Goyim give tzedakah. You know, Jerry Lewis, well, he's a Jew, but there, there's another place, I forgot the name of the place, which is run by non-Jews, which is huge in, 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 oh, what's his name? What's his name? Huge in kids' cancer. Like one of the, St. Jude, right. St. Jude is pure tzedakah, and, and they're not, so, what's this thing that Abraham Avinu, the, the DNA, is chesed, and if you are not about chesed, about rachamim, check out, make sure you're a Jew. Because it's in your DNA, right? What's this DNA? What's going on over here? So let's, let's take this apart for a moment. Okay? So this is what it says. Hashem, and Hashem appeared to him, and the, 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 the Eloni Mamre happens to be Mamre was the one who gave Avram Vinu the advice on how to do the bris. So because he did that, Hashem rewarded that he appeared to, to Avram in, in, his, in his area, right? And he was sitting at the door in the heat of the day. Now, everybody knows the Medrash here that... Abraham Avinu was the third day after his bris. The third day after any operation is the hardest day. He wasn't feeling well at all. Hashem said, the last thing he needs right now is visitors. Um, but there are many people traveling on the way. So I'm going to make it so hot, 150 degrees in the shade. I'm going to make it so hot that today no one's going to come. Then Hashem saw that Abraham Avinu was in more pain, that he didn't do chesed, than the pain of the bris milah. So Hashem said, oh, change my mind. I'll take away the heat. And three angels looking like humans showed up. First question. God doesn't make mistakes. What do you mean he thought that Avram Avinu wasn't feeling well, so it would be better not to bother him? And then he found out that it bothers Avram Avinu more not to have guests. Hashem knew that. Why did you make it hot? Just send them a lochem. You knew that he's not going to feel well because he doesn't have. And the answer is, God did it to talk to us, not Abraham Avinu. God said, I made it so hot, right? It's so hot that he wouldn't have guests. And guess what? That bothered him more than the bris milah. It's, it's talking to us now. The first thing you have to know about Chesed is, where was he sitting? Pesach Ohel. He was sitting at the door. He wasn't, and this I spoke a lot about this week. He wasn't waiting for someone to knock on the door, I need help. He wasn't for someone where someone should ring the bell. He was sitting at the door so that he would see the person before he needed help. It's one of my big speeches in Shalom Bayes. Maybe I would speak about it at a good convention. Especially in marriages, especially with women. So a guy... A guy, when I talk to them, you know, the guys, I give them, I always give a chassan speech to my boys the, the night before they get married. It's, just, it's not a chassan speech in halacha, it's a chassan speech in how to treat a woman or whatever. So I say, you know, it's a very nice thing for your wife if every morning you make her a coffee without her asking you. You make her a coffee, she wakes up, you know, you know what she likes, what she doesn't like. Sometimes you have to run to Dunkin' Donuts even. And she wakes up, and there's a coffee next to her that you made. So every guy says the same thing. Rav Wallstein, if she wants a coffee, she'll ask me. I'll go make her one. That's how guys think. And I'm like, let me tell you what's going to happen. If you're going to wait for that, it's never going to happen. And you're going to say, and you're going to say, you know, I thought you were a good guy. You, know, you never make me a coffee. <laughs> you know, they were, in Yeshiva, they were saying, like, how you take care of, when I checked you out, like, how you take care of everybody. Like, we're married a year. You, you never, you never even made me a coffee. So what do the guys say? You never asked. And she's like, if I asked, you're doing me a favor. I don't need favors. I need a husband. I don't need favors. Once you ask somebody, right, then if they bring the coffee, it's a favor. Can you get me a coffee, Zachariah? Okay, brought me a coffee. You asked me to do you a favor, I did you a favor. If the coffee's there, then it's not a favor. We ask that from God. 
there's a tefillah, an extra tefillah in Shemana Esrei. We say to Hashem, please give me what I need before I ask you. It's in a tefillah. Because once I ask you, then it takes away from my schusim. If I'm saying, Hashem, I need, a, I need a, this and this, Hashem says, okay, let me look at your bank account. Oh, you have the mitzvah? Okay, we'll give this to you, we'll take away the mitzvah. But if Hashem gives it to me as a present, before I ask for it, you can't take anything away from me. I didn't ask you for it, you gave it to me. So you can't take my, any of my credits away. So, so um, uh, Yaakov Avinu, when he asked Hashem, he said to Hashem, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't deserve anything. So if you're gonna do it for me, just do it as a favor. Oh, then it doesn't take away any of your schusim. So in a relationship, one of the most important things, uh, maybe a piece of the word love, is to anticipate the other person's needs before they ask you. Once they ask you, it's a favor. Someone drops something, and you pick it up and give it to them, it's not a favor, it's thank you. If someone else says, could you please pick that up for me, then you did them a favor, they have to ask you. So in a relationship... And the, and the closer you get and the longer you spend time with someone, the more you need their needs. The more, the more you know their needs, the more you can anticipate their needs. That's godless. It's godless in, it's godless in everything. How do you know this? Because there's a missionary, Pekayavos. And the missionary, Pekayavos says, Eizuhu Chacham. Who's a smart person? Harayas Hanaylad. Person who sees the reaction. You anticipate what's going to happen. If I do this, well, this is going to happen. Right? It's, it's, there's no question. There's no question. Somebody, so, to be an Avraham Chesed, to be on that level, you can't sit in your house and wait for them to ring the bell. You have to go out and look and see what the people need and give it to them before they ask you. Good waiter does that. Good waiter, you come always to the place, he knows what soda to put out before you ask him for the soda. That's a good way. When you feel very comfortable, you want to tip somebody, right? It's when you sit down and everything you need, he brings to the table out, you ask him. This guy, this guy's taking care of me. He knows what I need, right? Once you have to ask, it's a whole different story. So, the godless of Avram Avinu was, like Aaron HaKohen. Aaron HaKohen was Oheb Shalom, and you all love peace, right? Everybody wants peace, but how many of us are Rodev Shalom? You know what Rodev Shalom means? You run after peace. Loving peace is being a marriage counselor. You got a problem in your marriage, you come to Rabbi Wallstein, you recall me on the phone, you say, Rabbi Wallstein, I need to talk to you, our marriage is not going so they're great, right? So I am not a Rodev Shalom, I didn't run after you. I am an Ohev Shalom, I love to make peace, I want you guys to get along, but I'm not a Rodev Shalom. What's a Rodev Shalom? Rodev Shalom is, Chaim is a Talmud of mine, I'm like, Chaim, you know, I showed it to you the other day, you, 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 like, you guys weren't looking at each other very lovely. What's going on? Let me help you. He didn't come to me, I came to him. Like, you don't look happy. Like, I saw the two of you guys eating. You, you weren't even looking at it. I was at a restaurant. I was watching you two. There was no, there was no chemistry. You, you, you're not even looking at her. Like, what's going on in your mind? What's going on with you guys? Let me, let me help you out. Roy Dave Shalom. I'm always looking. I'm running after making peace. I'm not waiting till it comes to me. The main difference in our tzedakah and our chesed and Ramavino's chesed is we look at chesed as, oh, you need something? You need something? You ask me for something? I'm going to do it for you. You need a ride? I'll give you a ride. Not anticipating that you need a ride, and I'm like, now I'm, I'm telling you that I am no better than anyone else. I'm no better. In Yiddish, it's called a shtick chesed. Abraham Avinu was a, wasn't that the chesed was outside. The chesed was part of him. And therefore, when no one showed up, there was a part of him missing. There was a part of him missing. And every single day, there was a part of him that did chesed, but now nobody showed up. So there was something missing. Avraham Avinu, there was something missing. So when there's something missing, you're looking for it. So he went to the door, and he's like, my gosh, I didn't do chesed today. And he's looking at the door. And Hashem said, if you're looking for it, I'll bring it to you. And, and it's an answer. I don't know how, I don't know how to, to say it very clearly, but certain people have chances to, to help others and to to make a difference in Klai Yisrael. And people are like, why did he get that chance? Like, why did Hashem give him that idea? Why did he give her that idea? Why did she come up with Klai Lifeline? Why did he come up with... Why, why did that person... And the answer is because if you're looking for it, Hashem will give it for you. If you're not looking for it, you have to be looking for it. So the people who started organizations, they were looking to help 
other. Somebody was telling me that sister to sister, one of these um, things for divorced ladies, was not started by a divorced lady. I met them, I, I had a discussion, they were in Staten Island. I was talking to them, and I, and I mentioned in my speech that probably sister to sister, which is for ladies who are divorced, probably was started by a divorced girl. She was like, I'm alone, I, I know what this feels like, I get all the pain. She, and so the lady said to me, no, you don't, you don't know. Sister to sister was started by a friend of a divorced girl. Not a divorced girl. The friend saw what his friend was going through, so she started this huge organization. So if you're looking for it, if you're looking to change the world, if you're looking to help people, God will create angels to make it happen. And that was Avram Avinu. And that's very important. Your door has to be open, and you have to talk and be looking at the Pesach for... And, and I said last night, it's a metaphor. It's not the door, your front door. You leave my front door open, people are going to come in and rob me. It's the door in your heart. The door in your heart. You have to be, you have to be at the door of your heart, not deep, deep in your heart. If someone asks me, and I don't have a choice, you know, when they, when they ring the bell, right, and the parents tell the kid, shh, we don't want anyone to hear anyone talking, because then they'll know we're home. Or, or answer it, answer the ring, and tell them, that your father is not available to come to the door, or your father is not home, chas shalom, and lie. And we don't realize that children, they don't have a filter. So if you tell them to lie, and they lie, then when you start screaming at them, the one thing I won't put up with is lying. The thing in their head, you're a liar. <laughs> so, so you're lying about that you won't put up with a lie, because you yourself lie. So the whole thing is a lie. Right? And kids are like that. You know, you, you go to the airport, you're coming back from Eretz Yisrael after circus, you're there for two and a half weeks, 40 pieces of luggage with your children, right, hanging on. Everyone wants to get on the plane, and you're in a rush because you showed up late, and the Israeli security person stands there with that pen, and she says, did you buy anything here while you were here in Israel to take to America? You got 40 bags, right? A pack. And the kids are thinking, we bought gum, we bought candy, we bought, we bought stuff, uh, we went to a lot, we bought cam- little wooden camels, we bought Israeli sand, we bought talasin, we bought tzitzes, we bought yarmulkes, we bought, right? They, got, they bought three empty suitcases just to fill up with stuff they needed to buy an Eretz Israel. And the father looks straight at the security guy and goes, no. We didn't buy anything. Why? If you say you bought something, you gotta open up all the suitcases. You're gonna go through everything because you bought something, you have to check it, you know? Did you pack everything yourself? Yes. You didn't pack anything, Dad. Mommy packed everything, right? And, and they're watching this and they're listening to this. And then you want to know why they're liars. So when you tell a kid, tell them that I'm not home, I'll tell you a cute story. So one of my friends, we, we were making a surprise party for him. So his wife left the house and me and my other friend went to ring the bell to surprise, we're going out to eat, whatever it was. So there was, we knew there was no one in the house but him. They cleared out the house. So me and my friend come to the door. I hope he's listening to this year. We come to the door, and we ring the bell. And I don't know, for shtick, right, he didn't have a camera. It was, I'm talking like 10 years ago, more. He didn't have a camera. So you ring the bell. Don't think he has no camera. You ring the bell, and you talk. He says, ring the bell. Who is it? I'm like, Tzvai Elte Yidin Funed Zisro Medafta Bissel Tzedukah Right? So all those that don't understand, two poor people from Israel were collecting for a bride. As a joke, I said, that, but I changed my whole voice, and I never speak Yiddish, so he, there's no way that he thought it was me. And he says back into the thing, I'm really sorry, but my father is not home. <laughs> we never let him down on that. He may believe he's the kid. Whatever. So, you, so that, was, that, was, that, wasn't, that wasn't the Ramavino. Ramavino his whole life was chesed. And I had a big test this week, and I failed with flying colors. Um, I went to Shemir Shabbos at 2.15. I was in a meeting, a very, very long meeting, whatever it was, and, and I finished the meeting at 1.45, 1.50. The last minion in Flappish is 1 o'clock in Landau's, so I got to go to Borough Park. Borough Park, Shemir Shabbos has my riff till 3. So... I get there at 2.15, right? Now, I know why I'm there, because I was in that meeting. I walk into Shul at 2.15 in the morning, 2.15 a.m., the place is packed. I'm like, I know why I'm here. What are you guys doing up at 2.15 in the morning, right? Anyway, so there's a, there's a very poor man that's there, and he's totally bent over. He can't even lift it. He's like bent over, and he, he, he's not very clean. And I once took him home, and I like, 
I like fumigated the car. I went to a car wash afterwards. Um, he hasn't probably taken a shower in a few years. And he's a very poor Nebuch man, but he's very old and he's very bent over, I think, from arthritis. He can't even look at you. He can't even look up. And you have to put him in the car. And it takes you half an hour to get him into the car. And then you got to get him out of the car. And you got to bring him to his apartment. You're talking 45 minutes. And it's 2.15. I finished Davide Marv at 2.30. And he's standing by the door. Right? And I'm thinking to myself, no way am I at 2.15, at 2.30 going to start this now. I'm going to get home at 3.15. My wife's got ready. Not happy how late it is. And the whole scene is not, well, I just, you know, and there's so many other people in shul. So instead of going out the door that he was standing, I went out, I went the long way and I went out the other door. And I got into my car and I, and I went home. And I'm sure somebody gave him a ride. I totally failed. I totally failed. Because I'm not a shtick chesed. Shtichesed would have been that if someone else was, like, if he was walking towards someone else to ask, I would have ran in front of the, you need a ride? I'll take you. So I got, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not there. I got to work on it. So that, that, but that's who Avram Avinu was. Avram Avinu, there was no such thing. There was like, if I can't take that man home, it hurts me more than anything else in the world. And, and I should be better because I come from a family. I was, I was telling, I was saying it last night that, my grandparents lived on the west side, 98th and West and, and Broadway. In those days, I'm going back 50, 55 years, 55, 54 years ago. So on the west side was not rich people. It was just the opposite. There were tenements, no, no, no heat, no nothing. And all the derelicts were sleeping on all the benches on Broadway. And my grandparents, because there were a lot of people who came from Europe after the war, my grandparents every Friday night would go collect all the Jewish guys that were sleeping on these benches. You're talking about, they live with bags. I mean, you've seen bag people, right? Filthy bugs, like smelly urine, no bathrooms. Like my grandparents, every Friday night and Shabbos for lunch would have these people in the house. I was a kid. I could not sit at the table. I went into the kitchen to eat. I could not. It smelled like, like dirty diapers. And I'm not sure if he said it to me. Someone once sent to me that smell. When you're doing chesed, is the reach nichoach of a mizbeach, of, of a carbon on the mizbeach. You think it smells bad to Hashem? You take in someone that smells, that smell to Hashem is like bringing a carbon in, in the base I make dash. But I, I couldn't deal with it. Anyway, I grew up. My, I went to my grandparents very often. That was their house. My father, Oliver Shalom, who grew up in that house, because when it comes to chesed, if you come from a family of chesed, it's part of you, and, and you want to do it, and if you can't do it, you miss it. If you don't, it's like a big ol. It's like, I don't want people at my table. Yeah, people were brought up in an open house. Their houses are open. People were born in a closed house. That people are like, my father's not home, that kind of stuff. They don't do, they don't, they don't, it's hereditary. It's mama's hereditary. It's what you see. It's what you see at home. So my father grew up like that, and that's what he saw. And... My grandmother used to clean people. Whatever, don't even ask. So, so when I was living in Muncie, I was a young boy. So somehow my father got connected. A guy came to Shul. I know I was there. A guy came to Shul Sunday morning. Also very poor, bag person, very smelly in Muncie, which we didn't see, collecting tzedakah. And my father asked him, did you have breakfast? He said no. So he took him home for breakfast. My mother, we're yekis. <laughs> my mother was like... <laughs> Right, but he brought him for breakfast, and then he started talking to my father. He was a very old, also you know, clothing that wasn't changed, and his hair was matted and bugs and smell and whatever it is. And my father said, "Then what do you do for Shabbos?" He said, he "Doesn't have a place for Shabbos. Where do you live on the east side?" So every Shabbos from that day on, from that day on, my father would go to the east side. He lived in Muncie. He go to the east side, pick up this man, and bring him to my house for Shabbos. My mother kept telling my father. He's not poor. He's really very rich. I'm telling you, he's very rich. Women are suspicious. He's very rich, and he's really taking us for a ride. My father said, how do you know? She said, every time when, in, when he's in the house, I put his bags like together, away from everything else, in his room downstairs, and I see that he has the Wall Street Journal. Why would a man like this have the Wall Street Journal? And he has things circled. He has stock circled. I am telling you, he's a very rich man. My father said he's a very sick man. If he's a rich man, he's still a poor man. It's where you are in your head, right? You can have a lot of food, but if you don't eat it, right? So you're a poor man. 
So it didn't change my father-in-law. And to make a long story short, one day, New York Times, I like got a Tuesday, Wednesday. He was there the Shabbos before. So-and-so was found dead in his apartment on the east side with our name, our guy's name. Six million dollars in stock certificates. Of course, all of a sudden, all the relatives showed up. Right? They never, we could never find before. And my mother said, you see, he beat you. My father said, he didn't beat me, just the opposite. He gave me a chance to do chesed every Shabbos. He was a sick man. And we're going to talk about this. That, that, that Avraham Avinu bowed down to them. Why are you bowed down to them? They're coming to your house. Okay. Anyway, I'm trying to show you how far it, it goes. So I became a Rebbe my first year. I was a Rebbe in the Bronx in a yeshiva called Torah Ve'emuna. I was just married and I wanted to be a Rebbe half a day and go into business half a day. I opened the Jewish press looking for a teacher. Seventh grade boys in the Bronx. Okay, I'm going to drive from 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 Borough Park to the Bronx every morning, and I'm going to be a rabbi. I come to this yeshiva. Nebuch was in the Bronx. Was ready. The Bronx was totally burnt out, burnt down, gangs, whatever. And these few Jews were left. They didn't have the money to move, and their mamish lived in tenements. No windows, no heat. The kids had like ripped clothing. I I never saw such poverty. You know, because I didn't go with my father to the east side to this guy's apartment all the time. And to me, this was like, so I started bringing them food. These kids had no food. So I said, you know what? I had just gotten married, and you know, you go to your parents who just getting married. I said, you know what? I'm going to take these kids to Muncie to my parents. I had six kids in the class. So I said, guys, I'm going to pick you up Friday. We're going to go to Muncie, and maybe we'll go shopping, get some clothing for them, and buy some food for them, whatever it is. Fine. We come to the house. My father loved kids, my mother, and we had a great Shabbos. But Friday night, one of the kids had a very bad stomach ache. And Shabbos morning, when we, 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 we're, we're, our walk to Shul was from my house to the Shul was a half an hour to basically stroll in Muncie. And he said he can't go, to, he doesn't feel well. We said, okay, are you, you going to go back to sleep? I'm going to go back to sleep. Okay, we'll be back in three hours, 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock. Okay, we come back, they eat lunch, he comes to lunch, he feels much better, he comes to lunch, Shabbos is over, I'm like, we're going to go to Hub Bowling, we're going to go take that, I'm going to take the kids bowling, dad, mom, I'm going to take them bowling, then I'm going to take the Heshi's pizza, and then I'll bring them home. They never went bowling in their lives, the house to them was like, <laughs> had windows, you know, they had a blanket, and, 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 they, and they slept on a bed, like, to them it was like, whoa, okay, I take them bowling, I come home, my mother's waiting for me at the door. Zachariah, upstairs right now, we need to talk. All right, what did they do? Right? I come into the room, my father's sitting there, my mother's sitting there. And my mother says, Zachariah, what did you bring to our house? I'm like, what did I bring? You brought a bunch of Ganovim, a bunch of robbers. I said, Ma, what happened? She said, I went downstairs. Again, we're yucky, so everything has to be clean. I went downstairs, their clothing was six guys from the bond, right? Clothing was strewn all over the place. So I just wanted to put it together to put it in their suitcases and I, it wasn't suitcases, it were bags. And I opened this kid's bag and all my jewelry from my drawer is in his bag. And then I start opening up the other bags. Your father's gold watch, the silver, silver cups, silver things. She said, my mother said, I want them out of my house. You put them in your car now. You go to the Bronx, I don't care how late it is, you get them out of my house. My father says, listen, calm down. I don't want anyone to even mention it to them. They went downstairs now, they went into their bags, and all the stuff they stole is gone. They know that we know, because we took everything back. There's no reason to embarrass these kids. They know, they got caught. I said, I said, no, I, 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 you know, you, you know me now. That was when I was 20 years old. I am going to rip. First, I'm going to rip their arms out. <laughs> and if they don't bleed to death, I'm going to rip their head off. Like, you come into my house, to my house, to Rebbe's house, to my parents. I'm giving you a Shabbos you never had. You set up this kid. He wasn't sick. That when we went to shul, he went through everybody's stuff. It was a setup. You planned this robbery. I'll kill you. My father said, don't you dare say a word to any of them. They are poor children. They have nothing to eat. They stole, not because they're bad. They stole because of necessity. That's how they live. 
I don't want you to embarrass these children. Zechariah, you're not to mention to them that you know anything. They know that you caught them. He did not let me and my mother say one word. He should sit in Ganeidah. Not one word. On the way out the door the next morning, right? Of course, they were all red-faced. They figured I'm going to kill them. They were waiting for me just to blow up. Went out to breakfast, brought them bagels. You say one word to them. On the way out, my father turns to them and says, Boys, I want to tell you something. They're figuring, here it comes. Anytime you want to come for Shabbos, my house is open. My mother almost fainted, right? So when they got into the car, I ran back inside. I said, Tat, I said, Dad, you just invited them back? He goes, yeah. Next time we'll take all the jewelry, all the silver. We'll lock it up. And they won't be able to steal anything. He, he just had a different look. He had a different look at Chesed because his parents had a different look. The smell of the poor person is the reach nikoach, is the beautiful smell of the, of the, of the, of the incense, of the spices that were in the Beis Hamikdash. If you're brought up like that, so if someone steals, it's because Nebuch, they, 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 it's a whole, it's a whole different look. It's a very high level. It's a very hard level. It's a very high level. But if you, if you, if your kids see you treat people like that, then they will treat people. My brother wouldn't want me to talk about him, but my brother for the last 10 years was dealing with the same kind of people, same kind of person that my grandparents, and he was the only one that I could not take care of this person. There's no way. And my brother had no problem, took care of him till he died. He took care of him every single day. And he lived in his house. Nobody would even let them, would not let this guy into their car. And he lived in my, cause what you see, a house of, of when you see a house of chesed, so the, be, the best shinuch that we could give our children is someone rings the bell. Oh my gosh! Kids, everybody up, let's go to the door. We have a chance to do a mitzvah. Did you get everything back from them? My mother took everything back, of course. But that's not important. That's not what the story's about. And she didn't miss anything, believe me. She got everything back. But the, the, the point of it is that imagine that you run to the front door and there's, there's a guy collecting from Israel, whatever it is, and you're like, here, you give him five dollars. And, and Chaim, you want, you, need, you want a glass of orange juice? And you bring a glass of orange juice. If you, treat your, if you train your children and grandchildren that way, it's a whole different world. It's a whole different world. It's a whole different life. You know my story. I'm not going to tell you the story of Chapanash, you know, with the lady with the cup. You see the cup, you don't see the lady. What? Can I say it? They all know. Everybody knows it. There was a lady that used to collect money, and I and I used to put dollar in her cup. She collected money, and, and she had a, plus, a paper cup. And I put everyone put dollars and quarters. And then one day I saw this girl giving her a, a chocolate Danish and a tea. And I'm like, you don't give her money? You do this every Friday? She goes, yes, I do it every Friday. I'm like, why don't you just give her money? And she said, well, many, many weeks ago or months ago, I was giving her money, and, I, I, and she seemed to be, like, hungry. And I said to her, aren't you hungry? Do you want me to get you something? She said, wow, it would be amazing. I don't eat a whole day Friday. She said, what do you mean you don't eat a whole day Friday? Why don't you eat? She said, because if I get off the chair to go buy food, then all the people that are walking out of the store, I'm going to lose their dollar. She's a poor person. So she's very scared. She can't get up. She won't go to the bathroom, because if I get up, I'm not going to get the money. So she would sit a whole Friday from 8 o'clock to 4 o'clock and not eat. And this girl... Right? Asked her, are you hungry? And then she said, yes. So she went to court with more than a dollar and bought her, and not, and took her money and bought her the food. What's the difference between me and her? I put the dollar in. And the answer is, I saw the cup. I saw a cup. And then the cup is money. So I put money in. She saw the hand that holds the cup is connected to a lady who has feelings, who might be hungry, who might be cold. So it's called the second look. I had the first look, and we're going to talk about that. That's going to be the end of a year. What we're going to talk about the first look and the second look when it comes to Chesed and Arashi that explains it. That girl had the second look. That girl was not looking at a cup. That girl was looking at a person. I was looking at a cup. And everyone else that walked out of that rest of that store saw a cup. No one else asked her, "Are you hungry?" Nobody would imagine that she's fasting. So she's sitting there a whole day fasting. That's crazy. So yeah, that's called the second look. And we're, we're, I, we don't have time tonight to go through everything that I want to, but we'll end with the second look because the second look is probably one of the most important things. So number one has to be Pesach Ha'ol. You have to be at the opening of your heart. You have to be, you have to be looking, you have to be looking for the, the, the need. Perfect. Why am I trying to make this Shabbos of Shiduchim? Because 
I only have the single look. Girls come, they're older, they're single. They come to my share, they're nice, they're smiling. I don't have the second look to see their pain and what they're going through. And every time you have to get dressed, right, and do your hair and put on your makeup to go on that first date, right, and you have butterflies in your stomach and the guy walks in and in five seconds you're like, did God create this? <laughs> like, and your heart drops and all your makeup and all that time and all that anticipation goes out in five seconds. And then she has to go through three hours of listening to this guy talk about himself. How great he is, how super he is, how handsome he is. And she can't, she can't get out of it and she's stuck. And then she has to go out again with another guy. And then again with another guy. How I that you even get to that point that they go out? I don't see that. I'm not in that world. I'm not a girl. Right? I, I, my, my, my daughter's got married pretty fast. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that pain. So I only have the first look. I see girls, they're a little older. They're okay. They go to work. They come to school. They teach. They, they come to my share. They, you know, they, they got a problem, but they're not married. They'll get married. No. They'll get married. No, you can't be like that, Robert Wallstein. They'll get married. You have to do something to make sure they get married. So until this past week, two weeks ago, when I met these 75 girls, right, and I got to second look that Robert Wallstein, I used to be from and I'm not anymore, and all the pain that they're going through, I said, oh my gosh, I never saw this. So now I got to do something. The first look doesn't get you to do anything. The first look just tells you the facts. It's the second look that gets you to do something. And that's what's happened in this week's parasha. As we go on, it says the following. We'll end with this. First of all, Vayisa Enov, number one. If you want to do chesed, here's the question. It says, Vayisa Enov, he lifted up his eyes, Vayar, and he saw, there were three men. What does it mean to lift your eyes? What does that mean? What a weird expression. And he lifted his eyes and he saw. It should say in the Pasuk, Vayar Avraham v'hine shlosha anashim nitzavam olav. Avraham saw three people standing by him. What's it? Vayisa enov. If you say, if you want to say Vayisa enov means he saw, then don't say Vayar. Once you say Vayar that he saw, you don't have to say Vayisa enov. What does it mean to lift your eyes? What, he went like this, lifted his eyes? Like, what does that mean? And the answer is, you cannot do chesed if you're always looking at yourself. The first thing you need to do to see someone else's need is to stop looking at your needs. But Yisha'enov means to lift your eyes. Where were your eyes that you had to lift them? Where were they? doesn't mean lift them in your head. Where were they? They were looking at yourself. You can't do chesed when you get in the way. So the first thing before Vayar, the first thing you have to, to be able to see, if, if this is over here, I can't see you. There's no Vayar. So the first thing has to be Vayisenov. I have to look above the book. Ah, there's a bunch of girls here by my shear. Fascinating. But I can't do Vayar if this is in front of me. So if my whole life is about me and what I need and what everyone else did wrong to me, it's all about me, I can't even see you. So the Pasuk says, Chesed, Avram, first Vayisenov. I translate a little bit different. Since everybody has iPhones, and everybody's looking down a whole day, right? Because that's how you look at your iPhone. So the Pasuk is saying, if you want to see other people, right? Lift your eyes out of your iPhone. But I don't, Rashi doesn't say that. That's Rabbi Wallstein's uh, parsha. So first of all, number one, you have to be sitting at the door. Number two, you got to stop looking at your own stuff to, to look at other people. And then comes the big question. It says, Vayar. He saw there were three men standing in front of him. Again, he looked again a second time. And he ran to meet them. If the first time he looked, right, they're standing in front of him, then the second time he looked, how could he run to meet them? He ran them over? It should say, it should say, he ran to meet them. Now they're in front of him. It can't be he looked and they were in front of him and then he ran to meet them. He ran to meet them and now they're in front of him. The Pusik's totally flipped. What's going on over here? Zot Rashi. Rashi says, the first, there's two looks. Why do you have to look twice? Why do you have to look twice? She says the following. Vayar. Mahu vayar vayar. Why does it say vayar twice? Harisha and Kimash Moy. The first is, yeah, he looked and he saw. The second Vayar gave him an understanding of what he saw. The first look 
You see the facts. The second look, the second look, you see the details. Perfect example. That girl with the cup. I saw the cup. I saw the money. I saw the facts. There's a poor lady with a, a cup. She saw the facts that the cup is connected to a person and therefore there's more to it. Many times we see certain facts and we're sure that we know the truth. And, and the second look, we realize that we're very, very mistaken, even though we know the facts. I'll, I just want to end with this story from Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald, who I was very close to, who was the dean of my high school, who was also the head of Camp Sternberg. I'm sure a lot of girls know who he was. He was the greatest mind when it came to the chinuch of girls. So before I made him dean, we were talking, I was in Sternberg, and we were talking, and we were talking about kids getting thrown out of the school. So he said, i got to tell you a story. He said, there was a 10th grader thrown out of a, out of a, a school, and she did something really bad, and she got thrown out. And at that, at, that, at that time, it wasn't like today, we have 40 schools. In that town that she got thrown out of, there were two schools. She got thrown out of one, you're not getting into the other, you, you, that's it, you're done, you're, you're home, you're not going to school. It wasn't like, you could fly, you could, we didn't do that in those days. You're out of school, you're out of school. So all the people and the pressure, they put on the rabbits in to take her back, and, and then they got money people on the board, and the Rebbe said, I am not letting her destroy my school. I am not taking her back. So these parents went to Ronnie Greenwald and said, you're our last hope. Nobody could get the Rebbe said, maybe you could talk to her. He said, well, I don't want to get involved. Yeah, okay, I'll go. He told me the story. He comes to the Rebbe and he walks in. The Rebbe sees him and goes, Ronnie Greenwald, I know why you're here. I can't take her back for the sake of the rest of the school. Please. He says, no, no, I just want to talk to you for two minutes. Says, okay, what do you want to say? So I want to ask you a theoretical question. Sure. What would it take for you, Rebbitson, to throw a bobby, a babuchka, an old bobby? If she would come into your building, an old bobby would walk into your building. What could she do in your building that would cause you to throw her out? She said, a bobby? I don't throw Nothing. What could she do? She pulled the fire alarm. I'm not throwing her out. She said, "Now, old Bobby, what, a grandma? I throw, I throw grandmas out of my school." He looked her in the face and he said, "You just threw a Bobby out of school." So, what are you talking about? She goes, "That 16-year-old girl that you threw out—that's a mommy, that's a Bobby, and that's an Alta Bobby. One day she's going to be a mother, a grandmother, and a great-grandmother. You did not throw out a 16-year-old. You threw out a Bobby." Right, Greenwald said, the first look is a 16-year-old. The second look is having Havana. I don't keep the 16-year-old. She'll never be a mother and a grandmother. So the Rebbe looked at Rabbi Greenwald and said, if you guarantee me that she'll be a good Bobby, I'll put her on probation. And she came back. She graduated. The whole story was forgotten. And he got her in. First look is a 16-year-old. Second look, this girl's going to be a grandmother. I'm going to throw her out now. I just threw out a grandmother. Anyone who's in Chinuch, anyone who's in Chinuch has to be able to have the second look. If you cannot have the second look and you're a teacher, you should not be a teacher. Every parent has to have a second look. Your kid comes home with a failing test, so the first thing you see is a failed test. The second thing is, Havana, let's understand why he failed. Trauma, going through a hard time, learning learning disabilities. The second look is very, very, very different than the first look. When it comes to chesed, you cannot be a mal chesed with the first look. You have to have the second look. The first look is behine needs of all of you. See the facts. The second look is vayoretz lekosam. You're able to run to meet them. And that's who Avraham Avinu was. He saw the potential in a Kanani. In the Oyved Avoy Zori. He saw the potential of that person becoming a religious Jew. That's why he had so many gayrim. Because he always saw the potential in every single person. And that's a person who's a Baal Chesed, always sees the potential. And he called them, he called the Arabs over here, these three guys that he thought were Arabs. He called them, he said... By Yishtachu, he bowed down and he said, Adonai, my master, 
please, if you love me, you care about me, don't go past my house. That's ridiculous. What are you saying? They need you. You don't need them. Why are you bowing down to them? Why are you calling them the master? And the answer is, if I'm a shtik chesed and I need chesed to live, and you give me the ability to do chesed, you're giving me my life. So who owes who? I owe you. So Abraham said, you're my masters. I'm not your master. I need to do chesed. You're giving me that ability? So when someone rings the bell and they need, and they need tzedakah, you should say, thank you so much. You just gave me Gan Eden. Could you imagine if I would have taken that man home that night against my will? If I would have said, I don't care. He smells. everything. I'm taking him home anyway. I would have broken the gates of Shemaim. I would be able to give brachas to people. I would be able to change the world. I didn't do it. And the next morning, I was like killing myself. You had a chance. You'll never get that chance. If you take him again now, it's a whole... It's not the test anymore. I, pa- I failed. I'm a, I'm a human being. I failed. Next time, I, I, you know, I hope I hope to be able to pass. But I, that test, I failed. Do you know how good you feel after you beat yourself? Do you know how good you feel when you beat yourself? The next morning, you broke your own midos. There's this guy in shul that makes me nuts every morning. He sticks his hand in my face in the middle of Shemona Esrei. And I don't think he's Jewish. I watch, because when they're saying Kedusha, he doesn't say Kedusha. When they're saying Shema, he doesn't say Shema. He doesn't answer a main. I don't even think the guy's Jewish. I've never seen him mutter a word. He doesn't know when to sit. You know, when people are standing like for Kedusha, he keeps walking around. So he doesn't know anything. So I, I'm Cheshit, right? And he sticks his hand in my face. I want to slap his hand away, right? When a poor person comes and he has never... Uh, 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 today in Shul, a guy came with a picture of his son having a, a scar right by his heart and he's Down syndrome and they're doing surgeries. So, of course, their heart opens up and you give him $20 or $5, right? That's chesed. But, but when the guy that you hate sticks his hand in front of your face, right? So you want to give him a penny. So everyone in Shul, I give either a quarter or a dollar. This guy, I give $2. I don't like him. I don't want to give him. So I break myself. I'm like... This is the guy you don't want to give. Give him double. And it hurts when you do it. But afterwards, it's like, I just beat Wallerstein. I, I, I was Maram I, I beat myself. There is someone in this world that hurt me so deeply. So deeply. Someone that I thought was my friend. And I know that in the near future, I'm going to meet him. And he's going to put his hand out to shake mine. And I've had a line in my mind for the longest of time. Then when he puts that hand out, I am not going to put my hand out. And I'm going to say, hey, don't shake the hand that's full of my blood. What a wow! Shakespeare, man. Shakespeare and Macbeth. I'm going to rock him. Want me to shake your hand? I should shake the hand that has my blood on it? The guy's going to be like... Wow, what a, it took me a while to come up with this line. <laughs> and I don't know what's going to happen. I would love to shake his hand and say, how you doing, what's going on, and make believe nothing, that I don't know that he did what he did, and, and I like, how's everything, and be friends, and walk away and throw up, and then, you know, go on with my life, whatever it is. I would be the best feeling in the world. I know that. I would have beat myself. This is, this is brewing. It's brewing. And it's very hard to let go. And I know I'm, I know that I'm going to meet him. There's something that I know that I'm, at a certain thing I'm going to meet him. He's going to be there, and he's going to just put his hand out for sure. And I got my I got my line. I got my line. I want him to feel bad what he did to me. Am I going to say it or am I not going to say it? I don't know. Right now I can tell you, of course I'm going to break myself. I'm not going to say it, but I don't know what's going to happen at that point. But do you know the feeling if I could pull this off? And shake his hand, say, Shalom Aleichem, how's your kids, how's everybody, I miss talking to you. Oh my God, the world's going to shake. And they're going to be like, liar, liar. You don't miss him at all, but. Marvel Midoisov, it's the hardest thing. Where a person who's Marvel Midoisov can bring miracles into the world. Because what is a miracle? Breaking nature. A miracle is breaking nature. So if someone hurts you, and you're able to you are breaking nature. So you have a right to say to God, I broke nature. You know what this person, how they hurt me. And I didn't say one word. I am telling you, now you have to break nature. And, and Hashem is the to break nature. That's what Rachel Imeno said to Hashem. I did not rat on my sister. Right? I did not give her up to Yaakov. I broke my nature of being a jealous woman. The most jealous thing the Gemara says of a woman is the, sec- is the other wife. It's called a tzara. Right? There's two wives. The jealousy between those two wives is called a tzara in the Obamas. 
It's the biggest jealousy in the world. Yaakov worked for Rachel. Right? And now his, her sister is with her husband. You think it didn't bother her? So she turned to Hashem and said, I broke a woman's nature that I was jealous. That, and, and, I, and he's mine. He's not hers. He's mine. And it worked for me. Right? And I didn't say anything. And I didn't turn my sister in. God, you are so jealous that the Jews served idols? You have to break your nature. And you have to let them go. And you have to forgive them. And says the Medrash and Echa that Hashem said, Rachel, all the other fields I brought me to Yaakov Moshe, Hashem didn't listen to. You I have to listen to. Because what you're saying is true. Rachel Mavakal Baneha, and I will not let them be destroyed. It's the power of breaking, of a person breaking their nature. I don't know what's going to happen with me. But the same thing when it comes to tzedakah. You're tired. You're in bed. You're in pajamas. Everything is, you're ready to go to sleep. Your head is on the pillow. And your phone rings and your friend needs you. And you're like, you got other, she has other friends. She's like, you know, if you can't do it, I'll call someone else. And there's the big test. And if you could break yourself and say, no, no, I'm, I'm not in bed. No, I'm, I'm, I happen to be, you know what? I'm not even tired tonight. Maybe if I go help you for an hour, I'll be able to fall asleep again. Don't make the person feel like you're doing them a favor. During you, while you're doing it, it hurts and it's hard. But afterwards, you look in the mirror and say, I beat you. Who's the hardest one to beat in the world? Yourself. Why? Why are you the hardest person to beat in the world? Because no one knows you better than yourself. You're fighting yourself. What's your biggest enemy? Yourself. You know your weaknesses and you know your strengths. That's, that is total growth and that gives a person a kayak to be able to do anything that they can. Can you shut off the, uh, can you shut off the camera? You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.